like a fetish club for your ears. Grab a hot drink and turn down the lights. Coming across the airwaves and into bedrooms everywhere, BDSM United is bringing you non-violent, consensual kink education. This isn't for the kiddos or for the cookie-cutter conservative vanilla prudes. We'll be talking bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadomasochism, and more today on this BDSM United podcast. I am Primal Piggy. Thank you for joining me for another BDSM United podcast. Today I want to share a piece by Raven Caldera called Sacred Pain. Uh, He talks about pain as a magical slash ritual technique. And he says it can generally be sorted into the following categories. One, pain used to achieve an altered state via brain chemistry, in which one can connect with the universe or do some kind of magical work, such as directing energy for a spell. In this technique, which can, of course, also be done alone, the bottom is the primary magician, and the goal of the scene is to get them there, wherever there is, so that they can do something. The top's magical job is to get them there, To that point. Two, pain used to create energy for the top to work with. When the body's in pain, it gives off a great deal of energy, which is accessible to many magic workers. In this case, the top is the primary magician, and the bottom becomes just one of their tools. Number three, pain to bring people back in touch with their own bodies. This is especially good technique for those who go into a trance easily and likely don't need pain to do it, but have trouble reconnecting with the physical. Fourth is pain as a sacrifice, usually to a divine power or a deity who appreciates such things. Five, pain used as a strength ordeal to build courage and self-worth by enduring agonizing things. Six, pain as an emotional catharsis in order to tap into deep negative feelings and expunge them. In this case, the pain is used as a trigger to unearth issues that need to be brought out into the light for healing. Seven, Pain as a way to please a partner who is a sadist. (laughs) Uh, I think seven is probably my favorite. To work properly, it should be able to be sustained at the same level for a long period of time or be adjustable as needed. Pain should not cause too much in the way of physical damage because that may make you pass out and miss the entire experience. It's carefully controlled, carefully orchestrated pain, not random flailing. And the best way to work with pain is to do it slowly and with attention to the reaction of one's body. This isn't just about safety. There are plenty of books and people to teach you how to do S&M without injuring the bottom. It's that if things go wrong, you'll, you'll lose the thread of altered consciousness 
that takes you there, wherever there is, magically speaking. Cultures all over the world have explored ways to use the power of pain as a spiritual tool. After all, it's cheap. It doesn't require rare plants prepared a certain way. The dosage is highly adjustable. You can get dramatic effects quicker than with meditation. And all you really need is your own body or a willing body. Remember to get consent before giving others pain. The Lakota tribe of the Western Plains of America pioneered the sun dance, where people suspended themselves from piercings behind their pectoral muscles or pulled against piercings through the skin of their chests until they saw visions. In the Hindu uh, Kavandi ceremony, worshippers carry huge shrines and parades borne by masses of large steel needles through their flesh and others dance in the street with fruit and bells attached to their skin with sharp hooks. In many parts of Indonesia and Malaysia, spirit-possessed folks put spikes through the skin of their cheeks as part of inducing a deep, uh, a trance deep enough to allow the spirits to enter. The technique of applied pain is probably older than that of psychoactive su- substances. It's been around as long as our brains have been sophisticated enough to consider using our bodies in more than instinctive ways. Most people prefer to utilize altered state pain by starting slowly and working up the pain level bit by bit. Like joggers, there's usually a point where one hits the wall and feels as though they can't go any further. It's getting just beyond that point that induces the body to create the right chemicals. However, a few folks have found that a quick escalation of severe but non-injurious pain works better for their own biological triggers. We should also put in a disclaimer that not everyone can use this or any specific method. Some people just don't make many endorphins or their bodies are so slow in making them that the damage would have to be injurious before it would happen. As with anything, people's unique neurochemical makeup should be respected. On the other hand, most people are far more resilient than they believe. Pain is an extremely intense pattern of energy, and it can be used either by the recipient or the inflictor. For the recipient to use it, they must be clear-headed and experienced enough to keep focusing energy even through the haze of agony. On the other hand, someone who's experienced in moving the energy of other people around can utilize the pain of a sexual or magical partner and direct it where it needs to go. This method is often used by magicians who, who happen to be tops and who have bottoms who are willing to lend their bodies to the effort. Sex magic in general teaches the use of sexual energy, and especially orgasm, as tools for working one's will. Generally, the arousal energy builds up and then the spell is released during orgasm. However, orgasm itself only lasts a few seconds. Pain, skillfully applied, 
can have the same intensity level as an orgasm, as an orgasm, sorry, but it can go on for a much longer time. This gives the magician or the one doing the working uh, a greater period of time to work with that peak energy. Pain is also a lot easier to guarantee than an orgasm and a lot harder to become distracted from. Different people have different pain tolerances. It's been noted by folks who play with pain that people who are already in chronic pain or who grew up with chronic painful illnesses or disabilities tend to make fewer endorphins and have a higher pain tolerance overall. Many of them learned young to disassociate themselves from their bodies in order to ignore pain and have to relearn how to pay attention to it. One such individual reported that years of ignoring her body due to its chronic pain had led to her neglecting other health issues such as simple hunger and fatigue, and that it was S&M that taught her to listen to her body again. Another individual enduring lifelong chronic pain from a severe accident spoke of how S&M was a way to create pain that temporarily overrode the daily non-consensual pain of illness. He talked about how creating that pain deliberately gave a sense of power that could stand up against the helplessness engendered by his ordinary experience of agony. There's also that someone who can take an hour of hard, thuddy sensation, who can be really reduced to tears in minutes by a sharp, stingy sensation, or vice versa. There's no such thing as a bottom with no limits. Let me repeat that. There's no such thing as a bottom with no limits. No matter how many whip strokes they can take, clamps on their genitals may undo them. No matter how much their back or their ass can put up with, caning the inside of their thighs with a six-inch child's ruler may drive them to a safe word. These things need to be checked and possibly explored if they're unfamiliar territory. Well before elaborate ritual scenes... Uh, go on where a safe word early on will have repercussions to what you're trying to accomplish. I'm Primal Piggy. Thank you for joining me for this BDSM United podcast. Um, you can find all of our resources at www.bdsmunited.com. It was a joy speaking with you today, and I'll talk with you again soon.